Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Welcome back to Growing in Grace. My name is Victor Morrison. I have the joy of serving as the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Columbus, Texas. You know, uh, not too long ago, we had our fair, and they always have a rodeo at the at the fair. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy uh, wearing cowboy clothes and so forth, but I remember when I was a seminary student, I heard someone talking about shoot-gate cowboys, and I thought, what is a shoot-gate cowboy? And so I know very well what a shoot-gate is, where the they open up the gate and, uh, you know, the bull rider and everything comes out of there. But anyway, I uh, heard him say that a shoot gate cowboy is someone who wears a cowboy hat. He wears Western boots, got a big buckle uh, on his belt and, uh, you know, just sounds like a, a cowboy. But the only thing is he's not a cowboy. He enjoys sitting up there on the fence around where all the action is happening, but he's just not a real cowboy. And of course, I'm not making fun of anybody that goes to rodeos and horse shows. I like it myself. But what I'm saying is it's possible that we're kind of like a shoot gate Christian. I wonder if there are counterfeit Christians. You know, Jesus uh, taught a parable that seemed to indicate that not everyone was going to be a genuine, authentic born-again Christian that was going to be hanging around all the Christians. And so Matthew included about 40 of Jesus's parables in his gospel, and eight of his parables are written actually in chapter 13 of Matthew. Five of them are unique to his own account and are not found in either Mark or Luke's accounts. But one of them is about weeds mixing in with wheat. And so I want us to see what this parable has to say to us. So I would like to read to you Matthew 13. I'm going to begin with uh, verse 24, and I'll read through verse 30. And I'm going to skip down to verse 36 and read uh, sort of Jesus's explanation of what this parable is all about. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, 
I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He gives the explanation in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The sons of man The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out His kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Just a few words of explanation before we begin. In the Middle Eastern climate, tares or, or this, uh, w- these weeds, they look near identical to wheat until the time of the harvest. You can see sometimes if you were to examine them up close, but not until a certain amount of time has transpired. And so it's really hard to tell just by looking. So I want us to uh, look at this parable and to consider Where are the counterfeit Christians? How did they get there? And what's God going to do about it? Well, you know, if you were to try to uh, find the followers of false religions, it would probably be fairly easy because they have different places of worship that you could go to and you would know, okay, they're definitely not a follower of Christ. But in this case, he says that, Someone had sowed weeds among the wheat. And so the location of counterfeit Christians is they're among the Christians. They're going to be hanging out where we hang out. They'll be going to churches where we go or schools where we go. They'll be hanging out in uh, cities and towns where there are a number of Christians. And so I just wanted you to know that that's where counterfeit Christians will be. I've heard people come up to me before and tell me the reason I don't want to come to church is because I know there's some people that are hypocrites and they're not genuine. They're not really living it. But I've thought to myself, yes, but that's going to be everywhere. There's not going to be a perfect church where there are no hypocrites or where there are no people that are trying to put on the the clothes of a Christian, try to put on an appearance of being a Christian, and yet it's not genuine down inside because there's just going to be this infiltration of counterfeit Christians. It was even during the days of the apostles. You know, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, the apostle John said, you know, they went out from us because they were not really of us. If they would have been of us, they would have remained with us. And so sometimes it just takes time for it to appear. I think that's one thing that also stood out to me from this 
parable? For example, in verse 26, it says, So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So how is it that we will be able to distinguish between false teachers and those that are being uh, true to God's word and genuine and so forth? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, beginning in verse 16, you'll recognize them, speaking of false prophets, uh, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You see, that's how we differentiate between a counterfeit Christian and an authentic Christian, is by what does their life look like? Where are their loyalties? What are their attitudes in life? What are, how do they talk and so forth? I think even though they're mixed in with Christians, you'll often be able to tell those that are really uh, living for Christ and those that are, well, just sort of uh, into some kind of game or just trying to be a Christian in terms of appearance. But I want to look at the whole idea of how did they get there? You know, it's obvious that the tares or the weeds did not come from the Father. You know, that's what is clear from verse 24 when it says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is the Father. And so he's sowing good seed. Jesus is sowing good seed, but someone else is not sowing good seed. And that's where it calls that person out in verse 25. And it says, But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So I thought to myself, wow, it's almost like there's this methodology of being stealthy, being secretive sort of coming in under the radar when he's saying it happened while his men were sleeping, while the field hands were taking their rest. That's when this enemy, he says, came and sowed these seeds. And notice how it says once again in verse 26 that when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Of course, between verse 25 and 26, is this period of germination. And you can't tell which was a good seed and which was a bad seed. But once it begins to sprout, once it begins to bear uh, some of the fruit, to bear grain, then is when it begins to appear who they really are. But before then, it's almost like their mission is imitation. I find that Satan is kind of like that. Have you? You know, there was a seasoned missionary in the Bible named Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, he said that all of the false prophets and, and all of these uh, false teachers, they uh, have the appearance of being like an angel of light. What he means is, on the surface, it looks like they're one of us. 
But the more you get to know these people, the more you really look at their life closely, it begins to, you begin to realize, wait a minute, they're not true. This is not real. And so you know right away they're not authentic. I also saw in these verses that he calls this one who came and sowed weeds among the wheat, he calls him an enemy. He says an enemy has done this. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil whenever he's giving his explanation in verse 39. But why would someone sow weeds in another person's field? For that matter, why would someone sow anything in another person's field? What would that person have to gain? What would their motivation be? Well, it's just kind of... uh, an amazing thing, and when you think about it, they'll not be able to profit from whatever grows in the field of another person because that person owns the field and will get all the harvest, right? But also you get to thinking, why would they sow weeds? Because nobody would pay good money for just a load of weeds. And so what you discover here in this parable, it's so simple and yet it's right there staring us in the face, is there's a motive And the motive is just hatred, hatred for the one who owns the property. You see, God's enemy is the devil, and he hates him. And so that's why he would do something like that. And I think that's why, you know, uh, when you think about it, like I was saying earlier, when people walk away from a church because they see maybe one or two that are inside that church, and they're saying they're not real so I'm not going to go there. Who won the Who won the victory right there? Would you say God won, or would you say that the devil won? Sometimes those who have told me that right there, they're not a Christian either. They're just wanting to learn about Christianity, and yet they know from inspecting the fruit, that's not real in that guy's life. That's not real in her life. And so if that's our, our perspective, then we're never going to go to any church because there'll always be some wheat, some weeds mixed in among the wheat. So let's move to the last point that I wanted to make today is, so what is God going to do about it? Well, the separation is going to happen at some day. He says, then do you want us to go and gather them? But the owner of the field says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, You root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there will be a separation, but notice very carefully, very carefully, because perhaps you you were involved in a church and maybe you've seen in your church, there's there's one, there's two that they don't know the Lord. You can tell clearly by their life, they just don't know the Lord, and yet they're claiming that they know the Lord. Should you go and uproot them? No, if you do, I'll tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be some that are authentic, that are genuine, that are real, and they're not going to understand what's happening. And so listen to what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to assure us I'll take care of it. 
I'll make sure at the end that I take out those that are uh, not genuine and I will uh, bring out the genuine ones and place them in my barn, of course, referring to heaven. But, you know, in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, it sort of introduces us to that season. How will that all take place whenever the Lord separates those that are not being genuine? Well, I think in Revelation chapter uh, 20 and verses 11 through 15, it says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you see how it all fits together? The Bible fits together so perfectly whenever we read it in its entirety. And so when you realize, wait a minute, I can't go on some kind of rampage trying to pull up all the people that I feel are not living it. I might make a mistake. I don't know all the things that are going on in someone's life. And so what we have to do is we have to wait for the season, the season of God's harvest. It will come. And notice that also there's the storage of God's harvest. Of course, it says here that those who cause sin, the lawbreakers, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, those whose names are not found written in the book of life. And let's say they try to object to it and they say, but I've been good. That's when God's going to say, well, let's look at the, the book of all that you've ever done and let's see if you really have been good. And of course, none of us will be able to defend himself whenever we depend on our own works. It's only the finished work of Christ. That's what gets our name written in the Lamb's book of life. Some have said perhaps it's even written in blood, but whatever it's written in, it'll be there if you've trusted Jesus Christ and turned from sin. But I love what he says here about the storage of God's harvest when he says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So I thought, wow, that's wonderful news that we will be shining like the sun in the kingdom of our father. Wow. So what we have to do is we have to say, Lord, help me. Help me to make sure that I am a genuine born-again believer, that I've trusted only in the finished work of Christ. I want to close by just reminding you of something that at one, one period of time in America was a very popular uh, plant. It was called kudzu. Have you ever heard of kudzu? Do you know the story of the kudzu? Well, kudzu was originally cultivated by the Japanese and uh, it was brought to America in 1876 from Japan 
so that it could be used for decorations at the Japanese pavilion at the Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia. Well, in the early 1900s, a Florida farmer named E.E. Please, wow, he became what you could call, well, let's call him an apostle of kudzu. Man, he grew that plant and he saw the flower and he thought, this is great. And so he began to tell all of his friends and all of his friends began to tell other people. And what they discovered was livestock really like the leaves from the kudzu. And so, man, did they ever market it. All kinds of uh, plants were sold all around the United States. People would mail order it in. In the 1930s, the U.S. government itself distributed about 84 million seedlings in the Southeast between 1935 and 1943. As a matter of fact, in 1943, it was so popular, there was actually something called the Kudzu Club of America. And there were about 20,000 members. And so they really were talking about how wonderful this plant was. Even the Southern Bells at fairs and community events, they competed for the coveted title of the Kudzu Queen. Can you imagine having the kudzu uh, banner? I'm the kudzu queen. Well, the vine's chief virtue was that it had an incredible rate of growth, about a foot a day, and it would soon turn out to be its fatal flaw because it grew so quickly. You see, fruit growers began to complain that the kudzu, well, it was growing so quickly and outgrowing everything else It was choking their orchards. Farmers reported that it broke their baling machines. Railroad engineers accused it of causing their trains to actually slip off the tracks. So you know what happened? Given enough time, it was not long before the kudzu nurseries completely shut down. The kudzu club was disbanded, and the United States Department of Agriculture demoted kudzu to weed status, a weed that they defined as, get this, a plant that does more harm than good. And all this time, so many Americans during that early period in American history, they thought the kudzu was some kind of plant. Don't be fooled whenever there's all kind of false religions and false uh you know, teachings all around and cults and so forth, you stay with the Bible. Stay with pure Christianity. Stay with what is authentic. And, you know, one thing we see in this parable and we see it in real life, there's not going to be a perfect place. There's always going to be somebody. There's always going to be two or three maybe in each place that you go that are always going to be playing a game, putting on a show, But just know that alongside in the background, you may have many, many more times that number of people who are genuine, who are truly followers of Christ. And so I encourage you to follow follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay in the scriptures. Find Find a church that is biblical. And even though it might not be perfect, they're trying to move you in the right direction of growing in Christ's likeness. Well, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this parable from Matthew 13. And I hope you'll remember, Lord, I don't want to be a shoot gate Christian. 
I want to be a real disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray today? Lord, I thank you so much. Listening to this broadcast, more than likely, there's a lot of people out there that are genuine, authentic Christians. But maybe somebody might realize that really they've tried to um, fake their way through life, and they're not really committed to Christ. Maybe they've told everybody they're a Christian for years, but right now they realize I'm nothing but, well, just a tear. I want to be one of the genuine wheat uh, that the Lord is growing. So Lord, I pray that you would just work in the hearts of those that are listening. Encourage those that are trying to live a true Christian life. And those that are not, help them realize it's never too late to turn, to turn and repent, to place their faith in Christ, to realize and acknowledge their need for Jesus. And so I pray that today could be a turning point for lots of those that are listening. And also, perhaps they've been uh, frustrated or disillusioned because they visited churches before and maybe somebody just did not have the spirit of the Lord in their life or they were nothing like Jesus, but help them to realize that you'll settle that later. Help us to look to our lives and to say, I need to follow Christ and focus on my own personal discipleship. Help me to be one that's spreading the gospel and making new disciples that will follow you. So bless us as we go through the rest of our day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks, friend, for listening. I pray that God's blessed you. You have a great day today. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.